it was like yesterday this synchronicity happened that was just uh, unbelievable um, you know synchronicity is when you sort of hear the same thing from multiple different sources seemingly impossibly uh, uh, unlikely to happen of course the classic uh, synchronicity mentioned in my favorite movie Repo Man is suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp Suddenly someone will say plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue, no explanation. Why is someone driving backwards down the road? <laughs> what is going on over here? Okay, there's people going on the driveway. Yeah, it's nighttime here in New Jersey. And, other, and many other parts of the world right now besides New Jersey. <coughs> Half the world is night. Ooh, wind chimes. Where are those wind chimes? They sound very loud. You hear them? You still hear the wind chimes? But yeah, I do. I do try and track synchronicities because I do feel like uh, they—they're uh, clues as to what may be going on in this world. You know, um, there's been so many. This one was pretty amazing. It, it involved. Um, Mr. Canoehead is is the subject of this synchronicity. Mr. Canoehead, so character that I knew nothing about uh, up until yesterday or the day before. It was like uh, Mr. Canoehead is a guy apparently who uh, he's like a superhero. I guess he was carrying a canoe on his head and he was hit by lightning, and then it, then he beca- it was fused to his head, so he became Mr. Canoehead. <coughs> uh Anyway, um, I guess the first angle is this uh, is on Facebook uh, a page about uh, forgotten and obscure comic book characters. One of my favorite uh, topics, like super obscure, su- like obscure superheroes and stuff, something I absolutely love. And uh, so I joined the group, and I actually made a post that I, I searched the group. I didn't want to do a double post or anything. I actually posted the misfits of society an ultra-obscure superhero team from a, a comic book called R-Comics, A-R-C-O-M-I-C-S. What the hell? Someone's just pulling up in front of my house here. I think they're having a little party across the street. Um, <laughs> yes, R-Comics, A-R-C-O-M-I-C-S, R-Comics. It was uh, <coughs> this company out of the Midwest... And um, it was definitely these kids that were like uh, they wanted to have a, their own comic book company, but obviously I don't think they had quite. I don't know if they had the skill or the talent to do it, and it was really kind of crappy. I remember I wrote a letter to them, like this sort of like scathing letter about how their stuff sucked and everything. I think I still have that letter somewhere. I made a copy of it. Yeah, that's when I lived in uh, <coughs> Island. New Jersey, and there was this place, mailboxes, etc. And I'd go, and I would hang this guy. I think his name was Tom, that ran the place. I would hang out there and talk to him. And I wanted, I wanted to make a, a photocopy of the letter before I sent it. He's like, "Is this how you get your jolly sending nasty letters to comic book companies in the Midwest?" I'm like, "Ah, come on." Uh yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I. So when I was thinking and trying to find obscure characters, uh, I, I really thought of uh, that, our comics. And Misfits of Society was just one of the groups. 
But uh, yeah, they didn't. And I know they went on to the internet. Uh, they had a website, rcomics.com, for a while. Um, and I don't know what happened with it, but um, I think they wanted to sort of license their characters to different like corporations or something. It was like if, on, on their archived website, rcomics.com. If you go on the internet archive. They had all these different schemes and stuff of things to do, but it never really didn't ever really seem to amount to anything. So that was a successful post. Some of these uh, groups on Facebook are real sticklers. Like I tried to join a, 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 a liminal images group, you know, li- liminal things that are liminal, like like abandoned shopping malls and stuff. So I found this really cool image from this book of this room with a pinball machine in it. It was very liminal. And there's some people like that. Other people are like, is this really liminal? I, I I don't find this liminal. And I'm like, okay, enough. And the, the whole site, the whole page devolved into people trying to define what is liminal. Well, this image is not liminal because of it. And I just I unfollowed the group because it was just this. People just couldn't have fun. They had to like analyze how liminal each p- person's image was. Ugh. But the obscure comics book. Uh, you know, I, I know people are like, well, what, what constitutes a comic book character? What constitutes obscurity? Luckily, it hasn't been as bad as the other group. But, like, when you post on a group, then that's all Facebook shows you is that group's post. I mean, I, as much as I like obscure comic book characters, I, I, I don't want to see. That's not all I want to see. Anyway, um, so I joined this group. And uh, so Facebook has been showing me a lot of posts from that group. And uh, this has been a week or a couple weeks, I suppose, I, I, on this group. And then uh, yesterday, this is literally yesterday, today being Thursday, so it was Wednesday. Um, you know, we uh, we did uh, Central, the Overnight Escape Central this week was uh, sitcoms. And in fact, it's such a rich topic. Next week is going to be sitcoms too. Even though I went a bit overboard and recorded 90 minutes for the first one, I think I still have plenty to say about sitcoms, one of the richest topics, especially for for someone of my age, like Generation X. Sitcoms are very important to me in ser- many different eras of my life. Um, so one of the uh, one of my favorite obscure topics when it comes to television is original cable programming from the eighties and nineties. So HBO. Uh, Showtime, for example. Whoa, what the hell kind of noise is that? Motorcycles in the distance? Um, you know, when we first got cable television, which was probably 83, 84 time period, um, yeah, we had uh, HBO and uh, Showtime at least. And uh, they had original programming like uh, John Biner's Bizarre, which I think may have been a Canadian television show. Um and I think Super Dave Osborne was actually on that show. You know, uh, was it Bob Einstein, Albert Brooks's brother? You know, and wasn't it the one that their father was Parky Yakarkas, or was that someone else? <laughs> I don't know. There's a guy. There's a guy named Parky Yakarkas. No, anyway, um, uh, there's a on Showtime. They had uh, two shows. One was called. Uh, Brothers and the other one was called Steam Bath, and I was watching them. It was mid '80s. It was it was '84, '85, '86. That kind of probably more like '84, '85. So I really, I and then those shows vanished. Like no one, you never hear anything about them. Um, brothers was about these two brothers. One of the brothers on his wedding day canceled the wedding and 
came out of the closet. No, I'm act- he said I'm actually gay, and that that was sort of the whole show, you know. And the other show, Steam Bath, is when you die, you go to this like steam room, this steam bath, and God is this Hispanic guy that gives you towels. I know this sounds like I'm making it up, but these are actually real TV shows on Showtime. And then uh, HBO had like not necessarily the news, right? And later, like that show Dream On that I barely know. But I was I was looking into this, so I'm interested in this topic. And of course, um, on Comedy Central, there was that show News Weasels, right, that I've been fairly obsessed with and doing research on and uh, actually found a full episode on a tape I taped. Probably there's very little out there about news weasels. Um, (coughs) What's going on across the street? They're having a jolly time up there. Maybe they're watching some old sitcoms. So anyway, I'm, I'm fascinated by it, especially because of how obscure original cable programming was. And there's actually another show, uh, Limbo Land, that I don't know if I ever saw, but I had a, uh, the end credits uh, to it on a recording I made. This was by like Godly and Cream, you know those the, the musicians from like Ten Ten CC maybe was that their band? They had the show Limbo Land. It was like a, a comedy show, but it was in like this weird like limbo. Like every it was like this whole white background and everything. It was like a limbo. You know what I'm saying? Limbo Land. I like Limbo Land. I play that on the other side sometimes. The Limbo Land theme song. So utterly obscure, incredibly obscure. Cable, channel, original programming. Um, so uh, this was yesterday. I was looking up, uh, you know, trying to find some lists of original programming on cable channels. And for Showtime, they, they listed Steam Bath and Brothers and a few other ones. And then it said The Frantics. I'm like, what, that, what is The Frantics? So I started looking it up, and it turns out it's a Canadian a comedy uh, team. These four guys who briefly had uh, a show called uh, Frantic, I think Four on the Floor or something, or The Frantics on uh, CBC. Only 13 episodes were made. I think like a half-hour sketch comedy show. Um, And I guess Showtime picked it up. But then I I did some more research on The Frantics, and uh, they had a a radio show with like 130 something episodes on uh, the uh, uh, CBC radio um, called Frantic Times. And I could swear when I was like uh, about, I don't know, how many years ago would it be now? 15, 20 years ago. I went through a phase where I was very obsessed with uh, Canadian radio shows. Like uh, they had this great audio drama called uh, Midnight Cab about this guy who moved from like the Midwest to Toronto and was a cab driver and they, he would solve crimes every week. It was a pretty good show. I could swear I probably downloaded frantic times as well, but I can't find any reference to it. I don't, at least I didn't write it down. If I talked about it on the show, frantic times. Um, I think I did in the past encounter frantic times as a radio show. I didn't realize it was on Showtime and I don't remember seeing it on Showtime. It, it either I didn't see it or it didn't leave any impression or I completely forgot about it. Um, but yeah, but it was like four guys. You could tell they, I kind of could tell they were like thinking of, maybe they were thinking of themselves as like sort of the Canadian Beatles of comedy, you know, like these four guys that were like, I don't know. I, I don't know if their humor, like I, a few things were okay. I don't know. It's, I'd have to see more of it. Um, is it really that funny? I don't know. I have to really check it out. But anyway, they had 
on Showtime a promo where, like, the gag was they were showing scenes from their next episode, but they're like, oh, no, like, that's if that's going to be in the next episode, you ruin the episode. Okay, let's edit that out. So they had a piece of videotape and they kept pretending they were editing all this stuff out. So one of the scenes, okay, this is this is what's coming up on the show. They show Mr. Canoehead. This is the first time I'm seeing this character in in my memory. I it, If I encountered it in the past, I don't remember. So it was like Mr. Canoehead fighting like this evil nun. Right? And they're like, no, no, you can't show that because it's going to ruin the episode. Let's cut it out. So I'm like, I never, I'm like, okay, a guy with a canoe for a head. Great. That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, and I started watching, uh, there's a, there's an ep- like an episode of the show is on, I started watching an episode of the show. It's called Four on the Floor. Uh, I don't know why they just didn't call it The Frantics. That's weird. The Frantics in Four on the Floor, starring The Frantics. Um, yeah, I was watching it and again, it was, Maybe they're watching it up there too. They're laughing their their asses off. What's going on up there? Anyway, so I I and I was listening to apparently the Frantics in recent times. Um, like there's a collection, there's a, a podcast that they did playing in in present day, like uh, 2017. Some of them are they're actually hosting it in that present, playing old clips from their 80s radio show. It's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. That's quite a while ago now, of course, 2017. But anyway, so I had my little uh, – I went down the Frantics rabbit hole, and it was not – it was, again, it's okay, but it wasn't really grabbing my attention that much because, I don't know, this the humor wasn't necessarily uh, my cup of tea. But anyway um, – so I had a bunch of windows open on my browser. I'm like, all right, I gotta close all. The-. You know, whenever I have like 40 or 50 windows up, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna crash my computer. I gotta close a bunch of windows. Let me close all these frantic times windows. Okay. So anyway, fast forward to uh, this morning. Right after that experience, where I saw all these different things with the frantics, uh, I go onto Facebook and uh, the first post I see, I, th- I believe this was the first post this morning was from the uh, Forgotten and Obscure comic book character page, and someone posted Mr. Canoehead. Uh, I had several images of Mr. Canoe. Oh, this is a character from the C- the, this uh, CBC show uh, called uh, The Frantics, and uh, this guy had this canoe on his head, and I'm like, what? I, actually, I think I saved the post. Can I, find, can I find the post here? It's very hard on Facebook to save things, but sometimes I think I saved it. I saved it, but I don't know how to find my saved post. Oh, here we go. There we go. Okay, that was easy. It was too easy. Uh, let's see. Yeah, here's the post. Forgotten and Obscure Comic Characters is the name of the group. And, uh, yeah, this is it. This is what it says. While, while portaging his... While portaging... Was that like carrying on your head? His canoe through a national park, a mild-mannered insurance salesman was struck by lightning, and his aluminum canoe became welded to his head. Thus was born Mr. Canoehead, Canada's greatest aluminum crime fighter. His greatest foe was Dr. Perm, an insane French-Canadian trapper who had a hairdryer welded to his head. Originating as a comedy sketch character on CBC Radio in the late 70s, 
before moving to the TV sketch show 4 on the floor and eventually comics too. Mr. Canoehead even has his own beer brand. So they didn't even mention the Frantics. That's weird. Uh, anyway, can you imagine? the? I encountered this character, Mr. Canoehead, through two separate directions that were completely unconnected in the course of, I would say, about 12 or 14 hours. I mean, it was literally the afternoon uh, yesterday, Wednesday, and then this morning, Thursday morning. Um, this is a, an extreme synchronicity because there was nothing other than my interest in obscure pop culture, right? The first one had to do with our sitcom episode, right? And my interest in cable, original cable programming sitcoms. And I found the frantics through there having nothing to do with this Facebook page. There was no connection whatsoever. And then this post was made by Mr. Stuart Vandal. Is that a real name? Stuart Vandal. Sounds like an obscure hero himself. Uh, anyway, what is this? Oh, does someone link to the sketch? Four on the floor, Mr. Canoehead. Uh. Oh, hold on. I, I fast-forwarded too much. Once it's already. What have I done? I've created a powerful, evil, super mutant villain who 
will terrorize the free world for years to come. Well, at least your job is secure. That's true. Okay. What is going on? Yeah, I never saw that uh, that origin story. So that is a classic synchronicity, right? I, that I, I uh, encountered it in under 24 hours from two completely different areas. This ultra-obscure Canadian superhero. Now, of course, I do have a theory about synchronicities, which is, uh, uh, you know, like the idea is that in our around us in our environment, there's uh, order and chaos, um, or perhaps just order is like a substance, and then a lack of it is chaos, right? But anyway, uh, it, when you were um, right, when there's excess chaos in the environment, like. It causes uh, chaotic things to happen, manifest like uh, that's when you sort of drop a glass and it shatters on the ground. And I'm a bit of a klutz, so that happens to me fairly often, which is very unhappy. Uh, in fact, I, I, I mis- broke one of my beloved uh, blue um, <clears throat> mason jars that I drink stuff out of. I've, I've had I've broke so many of them. I've, I keep having to buy more. They're like the uh, 100th anniversary mason jars. And they're like they're blue. And every time I have to replace them because I, I, I shatter them because I'm a klutz, I drop them and stuff. In this case, I think I was just holding it and I was putting it in the dishwasher, but I, like, I slammed it on the edge of the ca- of the counter and just, like, sl- shattered it. Every time I, every time I need to buy more um, blue mason jars uh, to drink out of, they're, like, more and more money because they're becoming more and more collectible. Well, I'm destroying all of them, so whatever ones are left, they're worth more money. It's my favorite drinking vessel. It's a blue mason jar. I know it seems like a, a hipster thing to drink out of mason jars, but they're very, very pleasurable to drink out of mason jars. And there's no hipsters anymore anyway. Apparently they all, uh, they, they, they all the, whole, the whole scene went, went kaput in uh, 2017 from my research from a few episodes ago. And there's no more hipsters anymore. What the hell? 2017? What was the other twenty seven? Oh, that, that was the uh, yeah, the frantic times. Uh, yeah, yeah. <coughs> the hell's going on? It's definitely a weird times, man. But anyway, so when there's an excess of chaos, like chaotic things happen. But when there's an excess of order, synchronicities happen because right, it's manifesting orderliness. And right, this canoehead one—that's a big one, and that's bizarre. I know you could say it's just coincidence, but it, and it is a coincidence, but it's a heck of a coincidence. Too much of a coincidence. It's wild. Hey, it's the next day now. It's Friday. New album came out today. Hackney Diamonds by the Rolling Stones. No, it's not a deluxe issue. It's not a best of. It's actually a brand new album by the Rolling Stones. Can you believe it? Of all new songs. Uh, it's pretty wild. Then in 2023, that Rolling Stones are still around. Imagine, like, 
if they could do it, the Beatles could do it, but they're like, yeah, they're all dead. Well, there's still uh, Ringo, who just looks like he just put an EP last week, and uh, the current Paul. Some people believe that's the original Paul, but he's certainly a Beatle. Billy Campbell or the second Paul or whatever. Um, man, look, it's raining like crazy outside. Um, but yeah, this is their first, uh, what does this say here? First album of original material in 18 years. And some people were saying this was their best since, uh, what, Tattoo You in 81? I've been listening to it. This song features Lady Gaga, really? Great. I don't hear her, though. Oh, there she is. Some background vocals. And the final song is Rolling Stone Blues. Is that like a... It's kind of cool. Is this a cover or is this like... They made up their new blues song. Or is this where the name Rolling Stones came from? A Rolling Stone Gathers No Moss. Nice. Yeah, so Hackney Diamonds. The, uh, it's wild, right? That they, uh, yeah. It's not bad. I mean, in, in my first listen, it, there, there's nothing about it that makes me, like, angry and just want to turn it off. It just, uh, and then they have the music video, which I guess has been out for a while. <coughs> it's, uh, it has this, this, uh, gimmick, right? Um, that, if if they had done it at some point in the past, this gimmick would definitely have been like super impressive. As it is, I mean, it's impressive, but what is this? Emergence? The universe. So when did this come out? Last month. So the video is basically uh, this woman. This provocatively dressed young woman in a in a driving around, you know, someone else is driving the car, and she's like, it's a convertible, and she's like hanging hanging out the back and looking at all the billboards around Los Angeles on a sunny day, and they're all billboards for the Rolling Stones from all different parts of their history, and uh, but they're like they're like actual animated video, but it looks like they're billboards, so it's kind of like this cool. Uh, world of animated billboards of Rolling Stones. This song is actually not bad. I, I don't... It, it feels kind of not a great song, but it... It has it has good bones as a song, I guess. It, after I listened to it a couple times recently, it was playing in my head like an earworm. Just like the idea that there's a new Rolling Stones album is amazing, but yeah, this the video with the um, video like the moving billboards. They're not like video billboards; it's like a print billboard, but it's like with a, with motion graphics on it, with all different graphic styles. Pretty uh, pretty uh, impressive. But like so, I'm trying to say like we've I think we've all seen all these kind of computer effects and graphic effects like so much now. It's not like nothing we've never seen before. It just this looks like it's just really well done and really uh, extensive, you know. 
Looks like a very expensive music video. <clears throat> anyway, Rolling Stones ran. Because, yeah, it was always the Beatles versus the Stones, right? Beatles d didn't make it past 1970, really, and Stones still around 2023. <clears throat> Though I know there's a timeline out there where the Beatles just put out a new album, too. Why can't we just get the... I, I know we can't, maybe we can't physically go to that timeline, but why can't we just tap into their internet and just like get all the new Beatles stuff when they didn't break up any other timeline? I don't know. <laughs> I would if I could. I, I, don't have the, uh, I don't have the right software or technology to do such a thing, personally. Personally speaking, what do you want? So what is Rolling Stone Blues? Let's see. Hmm. Let me see. I wonder if this is going to wind up being like the last song, and this is going to wind up probably being their last album. I mean, it took them 18 years to put a new album out, and they're all in like in their in their 80s now. So another 18 years. I don't know. They're going to make it to like 100, 110, you know, to put out another album. Let's see if this is a, just an actual song. Oh, Rolling Stone by Muddy Waters. Catfish, it's a version of Catfish Blues. Researching this. Where am I playing? I'm playing this in all different places. All right, hold on, hold on a second here. Um, okay, Catfish Blues. Robert Petway. Could this be what they're? Referencing. Hey, I'm Kayla. And Hi, I'm Kayla. AI voices You're an AI voice. Oh, that's interesting. I, I was playing around with AI voices earlier, or not AI voices, but when I laid down down last night. Well, I tried to take my rest. No shoes struck me last night. Alright, it's not this song, but they're saying it was Muddy Waters. Here, so this is what it says. According to Keith Richards, uh, Brian, Jones, Brian Jones named the band during a phone call to Jazz News. When asked by a journalist for the band's name, Jones saw Muddy Waters LP lying on the floor. One of the tracks was Rolling Stone. Hmm. So I think, yeah, so this could be like a full circle kind of thing. Rolling, Muddy Waters, Rolling Stone. All right, let's see. This is from 1950. It sounds similar, right? I wish I was a catfish. Women in a hole, deep blue 
So the song that created the band name, and then here's this song. Can we hear it again here? They're calling it Rolling Stone Blues. Rolling Stone Blues. Well, I wish I was a captain. Interesting. I wonder if they ever did that before. The song that started them off on their journey. It almost feels like that should be the first song, but is that it's going to be the last song? Well, I'm not saying. Of course, they could do another album. It's possible they could do another another album, but probably unlikely. So it's the very end. This is the very end of the Rolling Stones right here. The last song in the last album. Baba Booey. That's what they should say at the end. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. That's it. It's the end. Nice. End of the end of the song. End of the band. The last album. No, there could be another album, theoretically. Probably not. So I'm on the porch now. Still raining out here. So yeah, this week, you want to talk about things coming back from the past. I mean, you have uh, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, so you had uh, the new Rolling Stones album I was just talking about. Then, as I mentioned, there's a new uh, Ringo Starr EP of some sort. I didn't double-check if it's brand new. but uh, So another great rivalry in pop culture is uh, Mario versus Sonic, right? The two of the greatest... Uh, video game mascots and the 2D uh, platformers of all time. And this week, a new Sonic game and a new Mar- <coughs> Mario game came out. Not not just new games, <coughs> but major new um, 2D platforming games for these uh, um, properties. Because, you know, a lot of, in the intervening years since Mario came out in 84-ish, and uh, Sonic came out in 91, there's been so many games, and uh, sometimes going back to the 2D roots, and a lot of times 3D platformers, and etc. Uh, so I did get both. <laughs> I got uh, Sonic the other day, as you heard on last episode, and I've been playing Sonic Superstars. I feel like it's 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 really good, but it's just a bit unpolished, and uh, the boss battles are really kind of a drag. And uh, I know everyone was upset on Steam on the PC because they added this Denuvo, uh, you know, co- you know, copy protection software that apparently slows things down. And they also required you have an Epic Game Store account for online stuff. So they really upset everyone. And the game itself, and also pricing it at sixty dollars as opposed to forty dollars. I, I, I don't know. I think I feel like as this, I, I, I am going to play it a lot more, and there's a lot to love about it. As I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Sonic from back in the day. I mean, I really love Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but uh, this one I just got this morning. It just came out today. Uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. I, I only have a Switch Lite. I don't have any other devices. I can't play on my TV. It's just like a handheld device, but. Uh, just I just spent a few minutes playing it, and this one seems like it may actually be a bit more polished. I, I was reading articles that um, this is Scram Skedaddlers that uh, they gave this team like all the time in the world they needed to uh, to get this right, and it seems really really good. You see, and Mario can become an elephant. That's like the big thing now. 
What is this? There's some like weird gopher spitting uh, seeds at me. I gotta get them. What are these? Well, this game seems really buttoned up and polished. I'm an elephant, damn it. I'm the Mario the Elephant. Damn gophers. Ooh, I turned into Fire Mario. I don't know what I'm doing. Alright, I'm back as the elephant again. Yeah, this is quite a quite a game here. But it's kinda cool that this stuff you know. Just because, you know, we got 3D graphics, that doesn't mean we necessarily want only 3D games. The 2D platformers have a look and feel and a vibe that's totally uh, different than other... Oh no! Alright, let me use this turtle shell to, like, punch this guy. Oh no! Oh, I turned into the little Mario. Oh, I just died. This is the first time I died in the game. No! Now I have to do it as little Mario? No. I'll become elephant. Yeah, it's a good game. No! See, it's already getting harder than I thought. Can I turn into... Shoot fireballs at the gopher. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he he can shoot water and like bring these seeds back to life. I don't know. Sorry, I'm chasing a gopher creature here. Come on, this guy's annoying me. So I guess this is a week for like things from the past coming back. Oh, you can push these pipes together? Sonic, Mario, Rolling Stones, well, a beetle. Things from the past are coming into the future. To quote Bublin A. Richardson. Yes. I wonder why, it, I mean, it's made, it, it seems so obvious that Mario can be like an elephant, but... No! But like, he wasn't an elephant before, like ever. How do I get in there? I gotta turn into an elephant, but I don't have the thing. Ooh. I don't know how to do it as regular Mario. I, I, I need to get that, I need to get that blue flower. 
and it's like it's like psychedelic. It, cha it changes everything. Oh, wow, it's raining superstars. Oh, it's so cool. Just like random effects, I guess. You know the star where you're like you're like completely like you can just do anything, smash or anything. This is very cool. Yeah, it feels like more of a, a triple A game than the Sonic too. Yeah. I mean, I generally like Sonic better than Mario, but in this case, this is pretty impressive. Plays a bunch of different characters too. I think I don't know. I just started playing as Mario. But... Then there's like a little caterpillar creature in, in your hat. He's like the king of the land or something. Ba Bowser's up to his old hijinks again. He he merged his body with the flower castle. He's like a giant castle dragon monster now. Prince Florian, he's, he's like a little caterpillar dude. Propeller flowers, what? What's going on? Hmm. Interesting, it's like the overworld map. There's another castle over there. Hmm. What's going on? Hmm. Okay. All right. So we'll uh, figure this out here. So, excuse me while I play some video games. We have to use wonder seeds. What is going on here? Oh, I needed three wonder seeds to... Okay, all right. That kind of controls the progress levels, right? Yeah, I got it. Badge house in Pipe Rock Plateau. Anyway, you get the... <coughs> anyway, yeah. I'll continue playing that game a little bit later. Um, today's episode is called Serendipity Interloper, and that image is... Uh, I think very interesting. Let me take a look at it here. So what this is, is um, excuse me, hold on a second here. Yeah, so this is it looks so, just to describe it to you, it looks like this kind of area at night, kind of like the outskirts of a city. Um, and then at the bottom you see a bunch of people hanging out. So what this is, is um, it, there's a new feature in Photoshop, which is to uh, extend background so that um, you can take an image and you can sort of see what was to the left of it and to the right of it and it uses AI. I know it's weird I've gotten back into a some AI images recently because there's a lot of new features and stuff. Um, so what I did is I went back to the very first, as you can see in the center of the image there, 
the very first uh, Overnight Escape Underground artwork from day one. This is from uh, 2007, I believe. Late 2007. So it, it's this logo on SUG day one, the Overnight Escape Underground, and you see a little bit of the sky and you see some lights in the distance. <coughs> and so I figured it'd be kind of cool to see what's <coughs> beyond here. So what I did is I, I did a process. Like if, if you do it at this size, it'll come up with all this bizarre stuff. But I, I kept extending it a little by little. And then you it gives you different options. And I was able to find this, uh, this city at night, sort of the outskirts of a city at night look. And this is through many different stages, getting this to look like this. And then uh, it was kind of barren at the bottom, so I added a bunch of people. <laughs> uh, if you look closely, they, they look like people from a distance. But if you zoom in, it's just really weird random shapes. That was the only time I was able to get people like populating the streets. Otherwise, it just sort of didn't work at all. It was like a giant image of a person. Very, very ornery, this uh, Photoshop uh, AI. But anyway, but I, you know, I, don't, I don't pay extra for it. You know what I mean? So this is really cool. It's sort of just generated from that original artwork from the very beginning of the Overnight Escape Underground. Well, I mean, as a named thing, Overnight Escape Underground started in 2007. But since it's become the overall, overall name of the project, I've looked back to the origins of this project in 1999 with BluffCosm.com. That's why I say Ansog Radio since 1999. And then for the type at the top, I just uh, typeset that in uh, an avenir next, a condensed, bold, italic, I think, green and red lettering. So I really like the way this turned out, even though I don't want to keep using more AI images. I thought this this one was really cool. Sort of an interesting idea. Um, serendipity interloper. I forget. I s something came up with serendipity. <coughs> um, what is serendipity? It's... I have to find the definition. The occurrence and development of events by chance in a happier, beneficial way. So it's kind of like synchronicity, but not quite. It's not like synchronicity is like matching things, like what I was talking about last night, you know, that Mr. Canoehead synchronicity. A serendipity, things sort of just happening in in a good way, right? Um, uh, the meaning of serendipity is the faculty or phenomenon of finding valuable or agreeable things not sought for, and also an instance of this, right? Now, of course, Serendipity was also uh, this character in this series of books that was big in the 80s uh, called, <laughs> what was it called? I'll think of it in a second. I still have some of those books. Uh, Serendipity Books, right? That's, that's what it's called. That's why I couldn't remember it. Serendipity Books, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was this, a series of um, books, like little soft cover books for children by this, I think this guy named Cosgrove, and the first story was Serendipity. Stephen Cosgrove, yeah. And my sister had a bunch of them, and it was a very unique kind of thing. Serendipity books. I've talked about them on the show in the past, so whenever I hear the word serendipity, I think of Serendipity the Dragon. Yeah. 
it was a big 80s thing. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's still, I mean, <coughs> let's see, is it still like a thing or, no, there's a different serendipity books now. Uh, starting in, what, 73? Yeah, 73. Oh, wow, there was a few before Serendipity. Serendipity is 74. It keeps going into the 80s, later 80s, 90s. Wow. The final one was Puddle Pine in 2004, who protects the forest for they are important to everyone. Puddle Pine. I didn't know it kept going until that late in history. Wow. But then what? They just went out of business? I mean... And there was an anime series? Serendipity of the Pink Dragon and Little Mouse on the Prairie? Really? So there's Stephen Cosgrove. He's 78. He's still alive. So I don't know what happened to those books, if they're still... Uh, hmm... Still going? I don't know. But anyway, that's just tangentially related to what we're dealing with here. Um, and then an interloper is, I, I don't know, I saw that word somewhere and I just really liked it. A person who becomes involved in a place or situation where they are not wanted or are considered not to belong. So, serendipity interloper, I think... I just like the two words, and I, I, I Googled it. I don't think anyone else u put those together. It sounds great, right? Serendipity, interloper. Because serendipity has those kind of, that shape of a word. And then interloper. It's just fun to say, serendipity, interloper. And then how the two words combine. Dippity, inter. Dippity, inter. Zippity, doodah. Wait, that, that, that song's been canceled. Hold on a second. We can't sing that. Zippity doo da, zippity. No! My, oh my, what a wonderful. No! That has been canceled. The ride. There was a ride in the Disney theme parks known as uh, <coughs> Splash Mountain where they were singing Zippity doo da and they shut it all down because people, people were associating it with uh, historical badness. So I don't know what they're doing now. The Princess and the Frog, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, right? Brer Rabbit and Brer Fox have gone the way of uh, like uh, Brer Kevin Spacey and all those other people that got canceled, man. Forget about Brer Rabbit, okay? You're not going to see that character anymore. Anyway, um, yeah, they, they got rid of that ride. Where, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Serendipity, zippity doodah. Yeah, that's how I got there. Anyway. Yeah, so a serendipity interloper could be like uh, could be some, it could be referencing AI itself, right? Because if you've noticed living as a human being, there's a certain um, phenomenon that's hard to describe. But it does seem like as you go through life day by day, like, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're like, uh, anxious and stressed out and you're like, oh, my God, I, there's all these things I need to do. And if I don't do them, I'll be screwed. And like, like if you think about all the things you need to do and you're not doing a lot of them, and I am in the same boat, I always do that. But then, like, a few weeks later, like, everything's okay. Like, 
you didn't do those things, but then everything's okay. Like, it's this weird kind of... I don't know if you'd call that serendipity, but it sort of feels like there's... It's more than just... You know, if you look at the scientific view of things, we're these individual biological beings that have to perform tasks in order to change the environment around us and to continue to survive. And then it does seem that there's all these things we need to do in order to actually keep things going. But then no matter what, everything kind of seems, not all the time, but usually things just seem to work out. You know what I mean? And you might call that kind of a serendipity, but it may be an aspect of reality. It's almost like our, our lives are stories. And no matter what we do, we might feel stressed in the moment, but then it, the story just continues on. You know what I mean? But maybe AI, and I, and I don't know that I've thought about this, but just as the title, you know, maybe AI is kind of interfering with that process or could interfere with that process. So it's an, a serendipity interloper. I don't know. It just sounds good. I don't know if it really has any meanings. It just sounds good. Serendipity interloper. My oh my, what a wonderful day. No, it's a rainy day. It's a rainy day. Zippity dip. Hey, it's a bit later now. So I have a chewing gum review here. Grenades gum. (laughs) I got an ad for this. I figured I'd order it. Grenades, explosively strong gum. And this uh, this is the most extreme one. The blast factor is 10, the max. It's called Super Uber Mint. Artificially flavored. And uh, it's a two-stage gum. First, the explosive mint blast. Then comes the flavor. Chew at your own risk. And I also have the Peppermint Bang, which is an 8. And then, of course, the... Uh, Wild Spearmint, which is a six. Grenadesgum.com. So, I already tried I, I tried one of them, and uh, let me just see. I want, they, they were hyping it up as this, like, super, super minty extreme thing. Um, and I know different people have different tolerance for that sort of thing. You know, there's, there's various uh, pleasurable irritants to the mouth uh, such as the capsaicin which is the spicy hot stuff and I I love uh, hot pepper and everything even though last night I was having what was I having some uh, tortellinis I think and I just put way too much of these pepper flakes on there and my mouth was like on fire you know you know how that how that works and I was in pain for a little while there's also uh, horseradish and the Japanese wasabi, which apparently most wasabi that they serve with sushi is not actually real wasabi. I didn't know that. But, you know, if you get too much, it feels like your head's exploding. So this mint, I guess, is in the same vein. And uh, the sinus-busting, breath-freshening, wake-up-smacking chewing gum. It's not just gum. It's an experience. I'm reading from the website here. Sort of saying how crazy it is. The number one sinus blasting, and of course it's vegan friendly, which that's what really got me. So there, so this is for sinus stuff. The ultimate sinus gum, tissues and sprays can be messy and kind of gross. Try grenades gum instead. We pack a nuclear arsenal of ice cold menthol power into every piece of gum for a mint blast that goes straight through your sinuses and out your eyeballs. Wake up without the wet. Nothing wakes you up like a nice ice cold bucket of water to the face. 
chewing grenades gum is kind of like that, but without the water. So th yeah, they're they're pushing it like this, right? That is so extreme. It's super extreme. So when I finally had one, I'm like, really? That's it? It's it's. I mean, it's good. It is very minty, but let me have one of these. Yeah, they're they're like small, slightly smaller than than a uh, a, a standard gumball. Manufactured for grenades in Honolulu, Hawaii, and made in Taiwan. So, chewing it, it is pretty. It is pretty strong, but like, I would think this should be like the six, right? The ten, to me, go a little further. I think for me personally, it's not really like. Uh, Give me like a head rush, kind of like a like a wasabi might, you know. Um, it's good though, but it could be stronger. It's just me. Some people, this may be too strong for them. I don't know. Um, it's good though. It's refreshing. But this, but this being the most extreme, as I said, was a little disappointing. Um. Look at this rain, it's just endless rain here. Mmm, yum, yum, yum. Alright, I'm gonna try all the flavors, so. I have a piece of paper towel here to put the gum down. Let's try wild, wild, no, let's try this one. Let's try uh, an, an eight peppermint bang. See how different this is, the peppermint bang. I wonder if this is a product I, I, that was actually created by these people or was it just sort of adapted by them to a Western market? I don't know. All right, here's the uh, peppermint bang. Um, I don't know. This one, in a way, this one feels even a little bit stronger, even though it's an eight instead of a ten. Yeah. Yeah. This one seems... It's weird. Maybe I just got a bad batch of the Super Uber Mint. Yeah, because the 8... This seems just as strong, if not stronger, than, than the 10. Oh, they have different flavors, too. I, I only got the mint ones. But the flavors... Uh, let me see the flavors here. Um, Melonberry Grape Bomb oh, Melonberry Slam Grape Bomb Loco Lemon Pineapple P Orange Pow Mango Mayhem These sort of remind me of those uh, Fruitopia drinks they used to have back in the, in the 90s Crazy Cola I, wa I want the cola flavor one Sold out. It's sold out. Oh, everyone wants a cola flavor. That looks really good. I want cola flavor. Citrus acid. Atomic apple. Oh, these are sour ones. Crazy punch. But what about... how? It's sold out. I mean... I want crazy cola. That's the one I want. Crazy cola. It's a seven. Damn. All right. 
That's my new goal, to get crazy cola. But they don't have root beer? or What, what do they got? Well, actually, I got it on Amazon. Let's see if they have it on. Maybe they have crazy cola on Amazon. Excuse me while I do some online shopping. <laughs> grenades, crazy cola. Hope they don't think I'm searching for actual grenades to buy. It's a grenades gum, not actual grenades. Cola. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't see the co crazy cola. Oh wait, here, here's like a, a variety pack. Okay. So if I customize, I can just buy a ton of. Uh Where the hell's the cola? The one I really want, crazy cola. It's not here. They don't have crazy cola. No. Damn it. That's the one I want. Finally. That that's actually like I said, the peppermint bang was a little bit better than the super uberman. Then we have a six here, which is the uh, glass factor six of uh, wild spearmint. Let's see. Oh this these are green, the other two are white. Okay, blast factor six is. Hmm. This definitely tastes like a kind of a cough medicine I used to have as a kid. I think Nova Histine is what it was called, a green syrup. Yeah, you can tell this one is is a bit less strong. Um, mm. And a weird kind of flavor, so not as good. I don't know. I think Peppermint Bang is a winner here. But yeah. Crazy Cola. Let me see if there's anywhere online I can find this Crazy Cola. Crazy Cola. Sold out. See? <laughs> Only one I want, and they don't have it. What is the strongest gum in the world? Grenade gum. Mm, yeah. Well, here I see grenades. Uh, crazy cola. Is this, is this, is this, it's the same website though. Hmm. Well, I can add it to card. No, it's not the right. Get out of here. All right, forget it. Forget it. All right. Chewing gum. Nom, nom, nom. Anyway, in other news, um, you know, I've been really fascinated with that 1990s trend of uh, cinema rides, right? The idea that you could use the newer technologies to create attractions in a much smaller space, such as those rides where you, uh, you sit in the chair that then bounces around. You have like 3D glasses on. Maybe you're shooting things on the screen. Or there's other ones that just like a giant movie screen makes you feel like you're flying, right? Cinema rides. And it's it's not something that's completely gone away, but it's just never really caught on how people thought it would. I thought it was really cool. And I actually 
must have read about it, they opened up a place called Cinetropolis up at the um, a, the a casino in uh, Foxwoods Casino in, in uh, you know the Indian Casino up in Connecticut. And I went there around opening day, I think, uh, 93 or 94, and uh, visited Cinetropolis, the only time I ever visited there, and went to the different features. And so I, it's amazing. I found this article in Wired Magazine from May 1994, which I would have gotten. I, I had gotten every issue of Wired Magazine. I don't really remember this article, but this article is trying to call this type of attraction realies, R-E-A-L-I-E-S, a term that did not catch on, realies. So instead of like movies, this something that moves, realies are things that are real. Anyway, realies did not uh, take off as a uh, <coughs> as as a concept. But uh, yeah, this article it's there's a lot going on in this article. But they folk there's one section where they focus on Cinetropolis, which gives a lot of information that I find very interesting because uh, I didn't last very long and it didn't continue on. Uh, I think they were hoping. Well, let me just read this to you. This is from <coughs> Wired Magazine in May 1994, which is kind of a long time ago now. Almost 30 years ago now. Cinetropolis, the iWorks dream. The future of the movie theater, Stan Kinsey, informs me as I sit down at his, in his Burbank office. May not be a movie theater. I'm visiting iWorks Entertainment, producer of movie-based specialty theaters, interactive media, and virtual reality. The company is, was founded in 1986 by Kinsey and Don iWorks, the former head of Disney Imagineering and son of Ubby Iwerks, the animator who created Minnie Mouse. I think Ubby Iwerks, they're spelling it U-B-B-I. I thought it was U-B-B-E, but uh, I think he may have also possibly created Mickey Mouse or at least the design for Mickey Mouse, but he was Walt Disney's like uh, right-hand man for a while there in the early days. They launched the firm after considering several salient facts. In-home activity... Video games and rentals had essentially stopped the movie business in its tracks, Kinsey recalls, and theme park attendance had been flat for 10 years. Clearly, this was a market desperate for exploitation. iWorks' goal was nothing less than to create the new movie theater, a spontaneously available out-of-home event using reprogrammable hardware platforms. (laughs) This rain is just pouring and it's constant, insane. (laughs) There's been a lot of storms like this lately. Um, The result was Cinetropolis, a projected series of -of out-of-home metropolitan movie parks consisting of themed retail outlets and restaurants with, in Kinsey's words, the walls and ceilings blown out and set amid a high-tech sea of iWorks attractions. An all-purpose experience oasis for the millennium the first Cinetropolis recently opened in the Foxwood Casino in Ledyard, Connecticut. The second is under construction in Chiryu, Japan. The third is coming to a former multiplex near you. Eh, I don't think so. The Cinetropolis offerings cover each of the new teething rings three fronts. Cinema. The iWorks 8-70 big screen theater takes aim at industry-leading IMAX widescreens. You know, the screens used to show nature films, San Francisco cable car rides, and Rolling Stones concert footage with their own huge, crystal-clear, 70-millimeter, 40-to-60-foot screens 
about 50 of which are now operating worldwide. On my iWorks promo tour, I am shown two five-minute big-screen films, each featuring live clips of prints. The screen is larger than a Cineplex heads are used to, the colors sharper and brighter, the picture wider, and the content, save for a short nature outing set to luscious New Age Anya riffs, exhausting and pointless. What? <laughs> well, that was exhausting and pointless does describe a lot of the programming in these cinema rides or realies. Yeah. Um, widescreen cinema has been on the verge of making it big for two decades now and, sad to say, probably working on three. So that was the large screen. R- rides, and this is that also are probably around a similar time uh, that uh, show scan uh, method with uh, Douglas Trumbull also sort of came and went. Hey, listen, every, people have to try these things. If it worked, it could have altered society. These things just didn't work. So the next con- type of content is rides. iWorks Turbo Tour Theaters combine Hollywood's roller coaster films <coughs> and roller coasters themselves into what the experience industry calls motion-based attractions. The Turbo Tour Theater is, a s- is small and filled with about 30 big, fat, comfy seats. I strap myself into one. It's like a cross between a beanbag and a dentist's chair. And get jangled like a martini while thrilling to the action on the screen. iWorks shows me and my fellow turbo tourists two short films, a RoboCop motorcycle chase and a dizzying spin on the Indy 500, called partially from old Paramount, da- from old Paramount Days of Thunder footage. Back east in Connecticut, I also catch up with Mind Blender, a portable Turbo Tour theater show set to a 3D video and the Peter Gabriel song Kiss That Frog, devised by iWorks for Crystal Pepsi. What? <laughs> what? Crystal Pepsi? Jeez, man. Because I, I have another link that relates to Crystal Pepsi in a whole different manner. But anyway, so this is one of those, this is one of those sentences that bears repeating. So here is the sentence. Back east in Connecticut, I also catch up with Mind Blender, a portable Turbo Tour theater show set to 3D video and the Peter Gabriel song Kiss That Frog, devised by iWorks for Crystal Pepsi. What? It doesn't make any sense. These three realies all work on the same principle. Your seat pitches and yaws in time with the action on the screen before you. When Robocop's motorcycle slams over a bump, you get jostled in your seat. <coughs> but Turbo Tour 2 is lame and finally irritating, like riding a mechanical bull while watching Lethal Weapon 3 in the front row. It's a perfect example of what's wrong with some of the realies. They go to great pains to simulate an experience that still ends up seeming manufactured and false. Robocop the movie had a compelling story. Viewers didn't have to get rocked around to forget they were Sitting in a theater, the Turbo Tour version, by comparison, is all jostle and little buzz. By the end of the six-minute film, I was most preoccupied by the question of whether my spare change was getting bumped out of my pocket. I was shaken but not stirred. Strike two. So, and I, and I do think this author is really onto something, which is that the reason that this stuff didn't work is that either. 
the anticipated uh, engagement, it just didn't feel good. But I think a lot of it is just that the uh, content that was made for these things was really not great. It was kind of pointless, right? They were trying to make shorter, short-form experiences that were meaningful. Whereas, like as he said, like a movie, there's characters you get to know. There's a whole lot of things. And then when there's like a hard chase or some action, it's in the context of all that. To just extract out the action may not be very uh, engaging. And the third uh, thing they have here is games. I am, however, quite intrigued by the much-hyped debut of Loch Ness Adventure, the first offering in the Virtual Adventure series, the video game leg of the iWorks triad. So anyway, I, I never played it, but I know I've, I have audio on the other side of uh, uh, from, from that Loch Ness Adventure. And this rain is getting worse. Jeez. Um, it's a multi-person climb-in really. <laughs> they keep, they're trying to make really a thing. Uh, featuring what I, iWorks calls full immersive VR, meaning that, like Pirates of the Caribbean in 1973 and Battle Tech's Nexus Fictions 20 years later, once you're inside, everything relates to the game. The Loch Ness module is a large, glossy room carrying six crew members at a time each responsible for one facet of our submarine's functioning. We, the universe's first-ever rookie Loch Ness players, each take a place in the sub's control room. On the wall-sized screen before, before, wall-sized screen before us looms a lovely graphics facsimile of the murky depths of Loch Ness. Our mission, rescue Nessie's eggs from the unnamed creatures threatening them. Our enemies... The other subs out to get there first. Our weapon, green goop, we get to squirt on their windshields. Our team, a captain, unfortunately me. A navigator, even more clueless than our captain. Two periscope guys who keep saying stuff like, down, up, down, up. And two stoic souls manning the sub's claws in the unlikely event that we ever manage to approach anything even theoretically grabbable. Our reaction, mixed. The Loch Ness controls are slow and, at least on our initial run, confusing. Our crew spends most of the journey nose down in the mud at the bottom of the lake, trying in vain to do some, something, anything, while some creep in the competing sub taunts us over the intercom. By trip's end, <coughs> I'll admit, I've bought into the concept. It's fun to play live in the same room as one's fellow gamers, but I'm also a bit bored, fairly frustrated, and longing for the deeply immersive VR confusion of Cybergate or Battletech's rampant, unapologetic violence. That was referred to earlier in the article. Not that any of this stuff, mind you, comes close to touching my own experiential benchmark, Pirates of the Caribbean. Christ, I, I think, cruising back up Santa Monica Boulevard to my hotel, I can hear the water slap on the hull now, feel the damp, cool breeze against my cheek, See the child's wide eyes. See with the child's wide eyes those leering puppet faces. But today you're thinking you are nominally a grown-up and you cannot see with the child's eyes. So you, to be fair, after my first stab at Loch Ness, I solicited a six-year-old boy's opinion. The kid frowned, oblivious to the iWorks PR. It wouldn't move. So that was the uh, Cinetropolis article, and kind of you know, kind of gives some context in terms of um, you know what may or may not have happened 
either the whole idea was just not great or um, the specific content made for it was not great. I'm going to skip ahead. and this is, a, this is a long article here. You can find it on the Internet Archive, by the way, uh, to uh, Luxor, because I did also go to Luxor uh, in the early days when they had the uh, Egyptian rides, three cinema rides very similar that did not last very long, right, by Douglas Trumbull. Luxor, the realies hit Vegas. The opening weekend of Luxor Las Vegas offers a prime example of really as consumer-aimed bug zapper. While my, while my fellow journalists wander starry-eyed through the empty, pristine casino getting drunk and losing money at craps, I wander around, I wander around getting drunk, losing money at craps, and sampling Luxor's phalanx of high-tech really attractions. I thrill to the Sega Arcade's R360 gyroscope flight simulator. Oh, great, another flight simulator, which spins you around so thoroughly you'll lose all track of the space fighter you're supposed to be flying. I ride, along with feebly nervous celebrity guest Terry Gar. What? He's hanging out with Terry Gar? Interesting. The, I guess back in the 90s, it was very prestigious being like a Wired magazine uh, writer. You can hang out with celebrities. The motion-based AS-1 multi-person space shuttle player, a gently rocking, mostly passive eight-person space flight, hosted via video screen by Michael Jackson. Er, they yanked him out once the sex scandal hit. Hmm. And then moved to virtual racing, which allows six side-by-side stock car drivers to pitch and roll while racing each other on the full-sized video screens facing the cars. A market improvement on pole position, but hardly a Disneyland-shaking revolution. Next, I wander over to longtime cinematic adventurer Douglas Trumbull's past, present, and future attractions. Cinema's first inauspicious steps. All right, maybe John Waters' Odorama was the first inauspicious steps into participatory movie going. Part one, and I did go. I, I went on all three of these as well, so I personally did did it go here. Part one, in search of the obelisk, crowds the Vegas masses through a faux ancient Egyptian hallway, and onto a rising platform facing a large curved movie screen for a dumb archaeological adventure. From there, we move on to Luxor Live, a virtual talk show whose studio audience watches the same bland characters from part one chatting up a hackneyed Hollywood host in a clever melding of a physical stage and a video screen. Part three, the theater of time, consists of a seven-story theater, the world's tallest, not that it helps, which takes the strapped-in audience gently rocking into a heaven-and-hell view of mankind's alternate futures. Yawning my way through past, present, and future, I can't help but think that despite all this new movie tech, I would have been more lost in the experience, more immersed, if you will, watching Terms of Endearment on a six-inch black-and-white screen. Sorry, fans, the Trumbull attractions had boring and barely coherent stories. They may pull in crowds of Vegas-intoxicated sensation junkies, but it's hard to see them in the makings of an entertainment revolution. It's the content, stupid. So, and that article goes on talking about more realies and all different stuff. But I thought it was interesting some perspectives on those things, and I, I would agree. I I think that you know, obviously, I I went to both places. I went to cinema, cine, cinema, cinetropolis in uh, Connecticut and to 
Luxor in Las Vegas, and uh, I th- I agree. I felt like the p- specific content they had was really kind of pointless, but it's it felt like it has so much potential, right? If you just had better content, um, these things that was the idea. You would have this the hardware, which is you know this the seats that shake around. I never was a big fan of that, um, but I think that. Uh, just uh, the screen w- with, um, you know, with many, you know, the, like the huge movie screen that curves around can be the most immersive thing. And in fact, I should mention also in Vegas now recently the the uh, Sphere, the MSG Sphere opened, which uh, if, you, if you look at some of the uh, the videos of the U2 show there a week or two back, amazing stuff. It's it's enormous and it's sort of along the lines of these things. It's but it's massive. It's like an arena, but it's video on all surfaces of this sphere. In fact, apparently Darren Aronofsky made a, a, a movie taking advantage of this technology that just premiered last week. <coughs> so these ideas are still are still going, but, right? Um, <coughs> yeah, and you still do, th- they call them now 4D rides, and you'll see them around. They still have 4D rides that they shake you around, and you have 3D glasses on, and yeah, I don't know. I if if I was going to sort of focus in on what works, I would say that um, with um, ShowScan, it was a smaller theater, a huge screen, massive sound system, and what Douglas Trumbull said on that was that the frame rate, the brightness, and the experience is so intense you could pack a full ninety-minute movie into like twenty minutes, <laughs> and <coughs> right. I think that with the right content, which I don't think anyone ever figured out, something like that, a screen all around you could be a very intense and satisfying experience. But yeah, as it was, and I do agree that the story in the uh, the Luxor Pyramid one, it was just it was poorly written and kind of a stupid story, but also seemed to have a lot of. It just seems more like. You're, I'm appreciating it for the potential it had than the, act, than the actual end product. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, it wasn't not uh, Crystal Pepsi that I was thinking of. It's Dr. Pepper 10. Remember that? Remember Dr. Pepper 10? It was a short-lived Dr. Pepper. Here's some information about it. It was a diet variant of the original Dr. Pepper. The name derives from the fact that the drink only has 10 calories. The flavor was originally released in 2011 and discontinued in 2018. The drink is possibly most well-remembered today for its controversial ad campaign, It's Not for Women. So I I remember I covered this topic on the show probably back around that time. I was not aware of the fact that... um, Many men felt that diet sodas are feminine and wouldn't want to drink them because they, they felt it was uh, too feminine to drink diet soda, which is something I never even heard of. So Dr. Pepper 10 with its gunmetal gray color, and it's, it has some calories but not a lot. It was, uh, it was marketed towards men. Um, yeah. <laughs> when did I review Dr. Pepper 10 on this show? Let me see. See, this show's been around so long. I have so much of this stuff. Let's see if we can find it here. Searching through 3,428 pages. 
<laughs> see if we'll find it. Do, do, do. Are you searching? Is it working? I think it crapped out. Hmm. Wait, no, here it is. Uh, hmm. No, wait, did I review it? I, I talked about it on Overnightscape 1364. I don't know if I reviewed it though. Maybe I just talked about it. In 2017, I guess it was still going in 2017. I thought I would have got, got it uh, a little earlier in the process. Is that the only reference to it, really? Wow, weird. Anyway, um, this has to do with uh, <clears throat> an interesting, now, nostalgia. A nostalgia for something that wasn't all that long ago, known as um, PlayStation Home. And uh, if I can find the reference here, I'll just read you what it says here. I had PlayStation Home. It was a virtual 3D social gaming platform developed by Sony for the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation Network. So basically, um, if you had a PlayStation 3, which I did have, I still have it, I think, you could, uh, <clears throat> you could go into this virtual world. It wasn't like goggles or anything. It's just a virtual space where you made up a character, you wandered through all these different spaces. It was around from uh, December 2008 to April 2015. And a lot of people really loved it. I liked it. I, I, I went in there quite often. It was sort of a very unique thing that never, I don't know if any other system had that, that's own like virtual, little virtual world. Um, and recently, some fans have been uh, rebuilding it, right? Um, based on they're trying to get people to contribute any local files of home they might have on their PlayStation 3. Because I guess all the models and the textures are all are all in there, you know, sort of as temporary files. So there's like this whole push to, to rebuild it. As that's, you know, getting around, right? We're getting close to it being 10 years ago that it closed. It closed around eight years ago, right? Yeah. 41 million members at the time of closure, so. Why'd they have to destroy it? People loved it so much. But anyway, at the uh, PlayStation Home subreddit, I found this uh, this image. Some screenshots I took from April of 2014. I miss it so much. So here's the screenshots. So people, like, it's a nostalgia for something in 2014. So here we have, <coughs> I guess, Dr. Pepper 10, a Dr. Pepper 10 vending machine. And it's in this nighttime, you're outside, and, th and there's a woman riding a shark through the air. And there's some other people hanging around. <laughs> it's awesome. Riding a shark next to a Dr. Pepper 10 vending machine. Any other pictures here? Yes, another Dr. Pepper 10 vending machine. Hmm. This person must have been a big Dr. Pepper 10 fan. Inside a building in a, in a little city. Acorn Meadows Park. There's a sign there. Is this all related to Dr. Pepper 10? You can see why I confused it with uh, Crystal Pepsi. It was a failed variant of a popular drink. Yeah, there's the same uh, vending machine there. Yeah, they're talking about the, uh, it's called Destination Home Project. They're trying to, like, rebuild it. So, hopefully they'll, they'll make some progress on it. Then there was another company that kind of, I think they bought some of the assets and built their own virtual world. I forget what it's called, though. 
uh, it got really bad reviews though um, it's a huge article here yeah the restoration process I forget the one that they said something worlds uh, the, anyway it doesn't matter But it just goes to show how, you know, even that type of virtual world, which was, you know, it had its flaws, but it really, a lot of people really loved it. And then Sony just shut it down. I guess they weren't making enough money out of it. They couldn't have left, they couldn't have just like left part of it open for people. I mean, please, please be nice. No, it's business. Business. In other news, um, here's an article from recently. Eddie Bauer. Changed its logo because Gen Z doesn't read cursive. So this is uh, I, I've I've been hearing about this problem for a while now. You know um, what they call cursive or script handwriting. They used to teach in school, right? Um, <coughs> it's a different way of <coughs> writing writing letters and words and stuff. Um, where the pen doesn't have to leave contact with the paper as much, so everything sort of flows. And I learned it, and um, I think it has to do with the technology in the past of pens, right? You had an inkwell, and you had to dip it in the ink, and then you had to kind of start writing. But if you lifted it up, like to dot an I or something, it would drip all over the place and ruin your paper. So the idea is that you would just, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think what it, what it was, you dip it in the ink, and then you write as long as you can until the ink runs out, and then you get more ink. And uh, and maybe you dot the I towards the end when you realize the ink ran out. But right, keeping it in contact, that's sort of like, so if you were writing, most things you can write without leaving contact with the paper. Then you got to dot your I's and cross your T's and stuff. But you see what I'm saying. I mean, you could theoretically, like, cross the T, but it would be very messy while keeping contact. Anyway, um, but everyone learned it in school. It was another form of writing, you know, learning how to read and write. Um, now, and it also is kind of the basis for your signature. When you, when you sign something, it's in the script form, though it doesn't have to be. So at some point, I don't know what the exact year was, they stopped teaching kids how to, write, how to like, uh, do cursive in school. Now, as a side effect of that, kids lost the ability to read cursive, right? So you might think, oh, people don't have these stupid old pens anymore. We don't need to. But then again, there's so much stuff that's written in long. Well, longhand is another way of saying it, right? There's so much stuff written, old diaries and journals and all sorts of things like that, that I could read. Some people's handwriting is really messy, but I could read it. But apparently now this new generation w would look at a page of, of longhand uh, script writing and they would just see gibberish. They would be unable to read it at all, which is really sad. Um, and this has come to affect logos as well. In this case, Eddie Bauer. It's, uh, uh, it's like that. What is, what is Eddie Bauer? I, I know in that one recording we called it the pompous store, but they have like sporting, sports, like sporting jackets, not sports jackets, um, like outdoor gear and stuff, Eddie Bauer. Um, but it had a fairly distinctive logo that was script, right? I never thought twice about it. it. You just look at the logo, it says Eddie Bauer. 
so here's the article. Eddie Bauer changed its logo because Gen Z doesn't read the cursive. After nearly 60 years of its distinctive cursive script, the outdoor retailer is ditching this script for blocky text and a goose. Uh, yeah, so the new logo, which is not bad, it's it's all right. And they they said it's it's a it's a uh, custom um, serif, sans serif font that they say uh, they introduced uh, irregularities to to make it look more handmade. It's actually, and then they have a goose. But I would say <laughs> I understand this Gen Z is a lot of your customers. They can't even read the logo. They can't read the name of the store. They won't even know what store they're going in. So I understand. Just make big block letters. Hope, hopefully, with all the failures of the education system, people will be able to read those giant block letters. Let's see. Uh-huh. The idea of legibility. Uh, though Bantle and his team initially toyed with the idea of keeping the script font, the general reaction they received was that it looked dated and to some confusing. A big part of what I'm going to need to do here is reintroduce this great heritage brand to our next generation. Kids don't even learn to read cursive in school anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty good redesign, but is that kind of, like, I understand certain things you can stop teaching, but this is has to do with reading, not just writing. You can go through life not having to write things in, in, in cursive, but you should have the capacity to read cursive because there's a lot of stuff that's written in cursive. This is very sad for our society. Anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> I guess a lot of companies have to drop their cursive stuff. <laughs> Big block letters for the uneducated massive to try, masses to try to read. <laughs> Good luck with that. Jeez. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. What is this lighting situation here? Oh wow, there's a little bit of sunlight poking through the clouds over there, even though it's still raining. Is it raining? It sounds like it. I can't see it though. Doesn't it sound like it's raining? It's weird. Maybe it's just all drips. Drips and drabs. I don't know. Anyway, I've continued working on uh, another aspect of our project here on Sug Radio is the uh, kind of like the top-level broadcast. I know I know I've been talking about this for such a long time. I think I want to try to finally get to uh, bring this into fruition, manifestation, whatever. Um, the idea is right. Our project here we have a huge archive of audio over 14,000 hours of content and I wanted to create an introductory radio broadcast, essentially something that you could listen to if you know nothing about Onsug Radio, you start listening to it and you get some idea what's going on and uh, <clears throat> as you know, as this is turning out, it's a lot more complicated than it seems and a lot more difficult than it seems and I've always kind of acknowledged that it's difficult and I've been kind of waiting for AI to advance to the point that an AI could do this as, you know, we're here, I'm doing this show right now, all the other hosts are doing their own shows, that right, we don't want to use, we don't want to have to take up too much of our own time and energy on the meta stuff, right? But there's no one else to do it, really. Um, So 
I, I really this morning I went you know real early this morning I went on like a journey looking for what is the state of AI uh, radio hosting, which I know is starting. I, uh, within the past couple of months, there's a few actually commercial radio stations that have AI hosts. Um, but the few places that are offering anything, it's like only $650 a month to have your AI DJ. I'm like, yeah, great. Um, but I'm talking about something much more advanced than what they have today. But on the other hand, how about trying to simplify it? Let's just say I already generated whatever, 200 and something thousand short clips from all of the shows. Playing those at random, perhaps not the ideal, but it does start to give an overview of things. And I was trying to find, is there any program that can simply play a song and then have a computer voice, not AI, just a computer voice, give the title of the song? And uh, this it was a frustrating few hours this morning. Uh, there was most of the plugins that did this. It was uh, third-party plugins. For example, there's a an audio player called Fubar 2000, and there was two different ones that were made for that, but it, from like 2010. So you can't even download them anymore. Uh, I did find Media Monkey had a plugin from a number of years ago for its version four called Speak to Me, which said that it could do it. So. First, I downloaded version 5. I saved it as a portable app. Uh, and uh, the the plugin was for version 4. Then I downloaded the version 4 as a portable app. It didn't work. Then I read you have to download it. You have to install it as a regular app. So I installed it as a regular app and installed the plugin. And it actually works. It does it, it, does it before the song. But it, you, you can actually customize it to say uh, the title and the artist, whatever. Uh, so I actually got that to work. And it's not, as I said, it's not ideal, but I feel like it's, um, <coughs> it's it can become sort of like a start, a start, you know. And uh, so I, I, I want to get it going. The form it's going to be in, I mean, ultimately the form is when you have uh, the book that can play audio in the physically in the real world and then also as a virtual object, that's sort of what's going to be playing, that station, right? So for now, it's kind of – I don't think that there would be any call for doing an, uh, a streaming service as that is rather expensive and very time-consuming. So I, I think I'm just going to start creating it as sort of a regular release but doing it in a way that it requires less effort uh, from from me. And I do want to record some you know some short segments like, hey, you're listening to Onsug Radio, yada, yada. And maybe I can ask some of the other hosts to record short things like that. But other than that, I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of do it without adding another thing that that we're doing. Ooh, fire engine! Its lights are on. Driving down the street. Wow! Wow! Look at that. You see what I'm saying? Is that like symbolic? Does that relate to what I was talking about? Or is, is sometimes a fire engine is just a fire engine? I don't know. Do they like to keep their fire engine clean? Is it a clean machine? Yes, Beatles quote from Penny Lane. Anyway, so you see, I think you see what I'm saying. I know it seems perhaps 
<coughs> unnecessary, but I do think that, uh, you know, with this project, you know, we have been uh, building the content and continuing to, to build the content, which is, which is at the heart of it, as we we're talking about with those realies, right? The content is, is what it's all about. But in terms of the contextualization and the organization of that content, that it could be considered a secondary matter, but it does need to be addressed eventually. And I feel that uh, technological advancements, especially in AI, will allow for our non-AI content to be indexed, presented, contextualized by AI, right? That's the idea. Using AI to um, in service of the non-AI material, which is all of us humans actually recording stuff, yes. <coughs> you see what I'm saying? So I'm just, I've been working on that. I know it's, yeah. I feel it's important as I'm sort of looking ahead to the book as the object, as the entire thing, right? Both in the real world, a copy of the book will have the audio in it and will play the audio on a speaker built into the book as a virtual object in a virtual world like PlayStation Home, if it still existed. Um, you would have this book and then it, it would actually have the audio built into it, which you could imagine might be somewhat easier to do on a digital platform. <laughs> with a digital object, but it can be done in both. So the idea is it's this object that you have with this huge amount of audio, and then you can listen at any time as you have this uh, object with you. And I think it probably will be in the future sort of a hybrid system. I think it will actually be, um, most likely there will be books that will be blank, but can instantly be made into a book. You see what I'm saying? like using e-paper and stuff. But the book on Sug Radio doesn't just exist. It exists also in the mind. And it's part of the main reason that it's in a book is so that it has that impact in someone's mind. They understand it's a radio station inside a book or it's broadcasting from inside a book. It's right Because it's not a regular radio station. We don't have a building and an antenna and stuff. You see what I'm saying? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. So what is this, October? What's going on? <coughs> I, uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I saw, like, so last night, I guess it's the night that uh, the two shows I'm watching now, uh, Gen V and uh, Loki, are, they, they, they both are available. Uh One's available at 8, one's available at 9. So Gen V's at 8, and then Loki's at 9. Uh, Gen V's very good. It's a spinoff of The Boys. It's, a, it's sort of a superhero show, and it's, it can be, can be very gross and gory. And uh, it's actually really good. It's, it's so good. It's great characters, great casting, great writing. Um. Very, very much. If, I mean, I think The Boys is very good too. I think it's really on that same level. So that's a good show. I can recommend it. Though, yes, it has some gross-out moments and stuff. Um, Loki, on the other hand, uh, this is becoming quite remarkable. As I sort of mentioned, Loki is uh, a Marvel Universe TV series on Disney Plus, which has the villain Loki. He's sort of a Thor villain who 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 beca- who was captured by this time agency. <laughs> And becomes a time agent. And uh, the first season was okay, as I recall. The second season, 
um, the writing and directing is so bizarre. It is in this last, this most recent episode, which which does have um, Kang in it, you know. But like, but they also have. It was really cool. This episode had uh, the Chicago World's Fair uh, from eighteen ninety three. You know, the World's Columbian Exp- Exposition, and they actually created in in computer graphics. You know, like the the Midway Plaisance and the uh, the very first Ferris wheel, and it's so cool. There's, it's so cool. I I, I want to see more digital recreations of. Uh, of the White City, as they called it, at the at the World's Fair, that part was cool. But um, the something about the writing and the directing, it feels like the show is like going off the rails. It feels like it's it 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 just it feels completely off, right? As you're watching it, you're like, "What the hell's going on?" It's making no sense. the The story is con- completely convoluted. And uh, like I have never have any idea what's going on, um, and uh, it's just and especially I thought the guy that plays Kang got canceled, didn't he? Like I think it was another case where you know like an actor is accused of um, beating up their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. In this case, I think he I think he was accused of beating up his girlfriend, so immediately he was fired and everything, just like the guy from uh, Rick and Morty. But he's in it, so I don't know if they filmed it before he got canceled or what happened. But he—he's the character is sort of like this mild-mannered, like like a scientist guy who's like a, a con artist in Chicago. But like the decision that he made, like the way he's going to talk, it seemed like kind of half-baked because he was kind of stammering and stuff in a way that kind of didn't work ultimately. But that combined with just the like I don't know what is going on in the show. Like, I understand that they have this machine that's doing things to timelines and they have to fix it, but they can't get in. And then so they wanted to kidnap him from 1893 because he's a variant. And oh, my God. But they do have a cool character called Miss Minutes, who is a, an AI clock and uh, is is in the episode a lot and is uh, kind of a cool character. She takes on a a black and white animated form because she's in 1893. <laughs> uh, anyway, the show is, <coughs> yeah, it, I mean, it feels like it must have been rewritten a thousand times. That That's my impression. And that's why it's just so all over the place. Weird stuff. but. And then I've also been watching uh, Strange New Worlds, <coughs> the new Star Trek show, which is so good. I'm so utterly surprised. As uh, that Paramount, or whatever they're called, um, in recent years, their Star Trek shows like Discovery and Picard, I feel have been awful, terrible. This one is good. Uh, It's actually really good. And the one I'm I'm still watching now is a crossover between the animated show Lower Decks, which I've never seen, and Strange New Worlds. (laughs) I I didn't know about that. I don't even know when that that happened. It's... uh, it was pretty clever how they did it. Um, so, <coughs> anyway, if you're a Star Trek fan and you you gave up after watching the garbage they were presenting on their channel, do not pass up Strange New Worlds. It's really good. If you, and if you remember, um, a few years ago, like the Orville. I don't know whatever happened to the Orville. The show by uh, Seth, whatever his name is, uh, 
Seth MacFarlane kind of captured the spirit of Star Trek, whereas Star Trek Discovery and Picard were totally off, completely didn't feel like Star Trek. Well, Strange New Worlds is back in the pocket, and it feels totally like Star Trek. It, I, I can't imagine that Star Trek is that hard to make. How many hundreds and hundreds of episodes have they made of this show over the past 50, 60 years? 50, yeah, 55, 50, yeah, no, almost 60 years now. And they suddenly lost the ability to make these shows. It's good to see that they've, someone, someone realized just follow the formula, make new Star Trek shows, but more like the old Star Trek shows. In terms of their structure, you can have new content. Anyway, it is good. Check it out. Anyway, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. It's much appreciated. You listening means so much to me because otherwise I just recorded a bunch of ones and zeros that are sitting on a server. Inert until someone listens to it. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora. This is The Overnightscape. <laughs> I'm here in <coughs> Nutley, New Jersey, here in the uh, October time period of 2023 this is friday october 20th 2023 yeah and uh yeah we're here in onsug radio it's broadcasting from inside a book and um go to onsug.com get all the information you need all the latest shows there's a show called overnightscape central that you can participate in yes you the new topic each week and because as i think i mentioned the sitcom topic uh, from last week was so rich we're going to be doing it another week we're going to do sitcoms part 2 if you have anything to say about sitcoms and who doesn't please check out the latest episode of Open Escape Central and uh, submit your your talk on on, uh, on sitcoms just look at your phone download a, an mp3 recorder test it to make sure it works and then just start talking and say what you want to say about sitcoms and then send the MP3 file to Mr. PQ River in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Get the email address and everything. Uh, just listen to listen to the, any episode of the Overnightscape Central. Towards the end, he'll give you all that information. I'll tell you, his email is kpqr.torc at gmail.com, though. Right, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Like, uh, <coughs> I know that sounds like kapurk torque, but it actually makes sense. You know, radio stations out there start with K. So if you're thinking of PQ radio, KPQR, right? Dot T-O-R-C. That's truth or consequences, T-O-R-C, the town he lives in, in New Mexico. K-P-Q-R dot T-O-R-C at gmail.com. You can just email him and ask him, oh, what's the topic this week? What can I just – he'll he, just communicate with him and get on the show. Your voice will be heard. And as I mentioned – we have over 14,000 hours, and we're very focused on preserving this archive in both the near and far future. And we have a very unique style, and this is a non-commercial project. There is no money changing hands. We have no Kickstarters or Indiegogos of any sort. Uh, we've all just uh, kept our day jobs, and uh, we do this for the love of it and not f- for any kind of uh, profit. And because the fact that it can be this whole thing can be done for very little money, that's the reason why we're able to do it. Obviously, if 
even streaming radio, uh, you have to pay per listener. So the more successful you get, the more money you need. Right. Thankfully, with the method that we have here, file-based, etc., it does not cost that much. We don't, you know. And and if it did cost a lot of money, it would completely affect and be a part of the whole story and the content we're creating. As it is, this all just sort of uh, happened in a very organic way. I wasn't initially planning on doing a non-commercial project, but it just turned out that way. And I love recording these shows so much. Uh, I'm I'm going to just keep going with what works. And I love doing this show. So, And I love that you're listening right now. Thank you so much. But yeah, all these uh, Dr. Pepper 10... What, what, what happened to all those Dr. Pepper 10 vending machines? Were they real or were they just in the, the computer game? Because if you think, it'd be really cool if you're like, oh, do you know, like... You know, Dr. Pepper 10 vending machines. Like, if you if you go around the back, like, just, you don't have to, you don't have to, have to like, pull it. You just pull it out you know, from the wall a little bit, and there's, like, this little hatch that opens up. And if you go in there, you go into this other world, man. Every Dr. Pen, ten, Dr. Pepper 10 vending machine has, like, a hatchway to another world in the back. You know what I'm saying? And, and the other world it goes to is this. The other side. begins in New Delhi, the capital. The magnificent government buildings are symbols of a modern nation with serious responsibilities in today's world. But India is also an ancient land, and her yesterdays are dramatized in countless monuments. Not far from New Delhi stands the famous Qutub Minar. The tower is more than 240 feet high. It was built centuries ago as a pavilion for an emperor's daughter, who wanted to catch glimpses of the waters of the Jumna River several miles to the east. Today the tower is surrounded by the ruins and the gardens of the palace. It is a favorite picnic spot for New Delhi people who find in its tranquility a nostalgia for the past. The romantic aspect of India's past is symbolized by the Taj Mahal in the old city of Agra about four hours' drive south of Delhi. Agra contains many other tombs, mosques, and temples, which represent the full flowering of Indo-Islamic architecture. But the Taj Mahal is in a class by itself. It is a massive structure 210 feet high and it is made of solid white marble. Nevertheless, its lines are so graceful, its symmetry is so perfect that the building seems to float lightly in the air. This effect is increased by the use of a peculiar technique in the design motif. The size of the design patterns are increased progressively with the height. The result is a kind of optical illusion. Perspective is distorted so that the distant parts of the building are brought closer to the eye. Thus, the whole building is seen with equal clarity, and instead of towering massively over the viewer, it seems affixed to the sky rather than to earth, a dazzling, shimmering bubble of stone, marble, semi-precious stones, almost overpoweringly beautiful. All this beauty was inspired by the love of Shah Jahan, 
for his favorite consort, Mumtaz. Seventeen years were required for the construction of her tomb, but tragically Shah Jahan was not permitted to see much of it after its completion. Shah Jahan's son, Aurangzeb, accused his father of over-extravagance in building this memorial to his mother, and with that excuse seized the throne. Shah Jahan asked to be imprisoned near the tomb. From his cell, with the aid of a small mirror, he could catch glimpses of the building during the daylight hours. It is said that Shah Jahan was so fascinated with this monument that he gazed at it dreaming most of his waking hours as long as he lived. The Islamic architecture in India was preceded by the equally impressive art of the Hindus. Here are the group of temples called Kajurao. The effect of magnificence and awe is created by an unusual technique. The buildings are deliberately meant to be heavy and massive. On the outside, almost every square inch is devoted to intricate three-dimensional sculpture. The carvings represent the secular aspects of life, particularly its violence and passion. Inside the temple, however, the stonework is severely plain. The idea is that the material world is filled with frenzy, confusion, and disquiet, but the world of the spirit, in God's house, all is peace and tranquility. This effect is achieved dramatically at Kujarao, and the Hindu message of escape from the illusions and pointless motion of life is vividly communicated. The ancient city of Banaras is the center of Hindu culture. For more than 3,000 years, great scholars have come to this city to study near the quietly flowing sacred river, the Ganges. Life along the river is as unchanging as the river itself. Its water is said to cleanse the believer of all sin and to help him toward achieving moksha, released from the wheel of life. Benares is a city of temples, many of them rich and famous. The roof of this temple is covered with 18 tons of pure gold. But Benares is also a city of thriving shops and busy people. The citizens of this metropolis live much as they did in the days of the god-king Rama. Religion is a common denominator in the lives of these simple, kindly people. The Hindu religion touches almost every aspect of their daily existence. Here, a Brahmin priest leads a young, newly married couple from a wedding ceremony at a temple. The temples of Benares attract holy men as well as scholars from all over India. This man is a yogi. His aim is to achieve mastery over his mind and spirit by first learning to control completely the muscles of his body. Even when we stand on his hands, he can turn his body completely around. During the centuries that Benares has thrived by the Holy Ganga, the Hindu religion has grown wise and tolerant. From its basic philosophic truths, Lord Buddha received the inspiration that led to his enlightenment, and the new religion he preached was eagerly accepted by the many people who were neighbors to but separated from the traditional Hindu culture. Beyond the source of the Ganges here, high in the Himalayas, the people of Tibet especially found that Buddhism satisfied the spiritual needs of their rugged life. 
They added richly to the Buddhist tradition, and their god-king, the Dalai Lama, became the head of the whole Mahayana sect of the religion. Today, because of the tragedy that has befallen the Holy Kingdom, beyond the source of the Ganges, it is appropriate that the present Dalai Lama should find refuge in the land that gave birth to the religion he represents. No visit to India, therefore, would be complete without a pilgrimage to this remarkable young man. Prince Panu was given the honor of a private interview with the Tibetan god-king. He brought a gift, and they exchanged the traditional scarf, which is a gesture of respect. Shape is slightly different. Yes, it's uh, at the Pala Art that went through Ceylon. Ceylon, so you may see it. Look at it.
線の特急列車上野行きが発車しますドアが閉まりますご注意ください
of American jets as they take off from an unnamed aircraft carrier on secret missions in the Gulf. The first days of the Gulf War have been an air war with hundreds of young airmen guiding high-tech warplanes to their targets. In fact, this is the first generation of video warriors, pilots who grew up with computer-generated war games. Does it make a difference? Robin McIntosh reports. When commanders of Operation Desert Storm showed aerial photographs of direct hits on military targets in Baghdad this morning, it may have looked very familiar. The computer readouts, the laser-guided missiles, are as close as the local mall. American youngsters are weaned on the computer chip. A few quarters, a joystick, quick reflexes, and a keen eye can put an F-19 in the hands of a teenager. You don't have real bullets flying at you. It's not really as much of a challenge with the game. I guess you'd rather, much rather play the game. Yeah, really. It's, it's a lot safer. Video games are a long way from aerial combat, but those who have trained pilots say a background in computers helps. Vice Admiral Ronald Fundman, now at Valley Forge Military Academy, was once in charge of training Navy flyers. Younger people are computer-oriented, uh, and they've grown up with computers. Uh, us older uh, military types, uh, we grew up with analog systems. They fly the F-19 every day at this radio shack in Paoli. The computer version is so close to the real cockpit, you can almost smell the jet fuel. As up-to-date and as realistic as they get. America's a high-tech country, so it's not surprising that we're fighting a high-tech war. But behind those sophisticated machines are brave men and women who know only too well that when it comes to war, it's not a game. At the King of Prussia Plaza, I'm Robin McIntosh, Channel 3 Eyewitness News.
Reincarnation, consider the shocking case of Little Ivy possessed by the tortured soul of Audrey Rose. It just might change your mind. Next. Alaska, America's pot of gold, where anyone's dreams can come true. I got a good idea and so does a hundred other guys. If I get there first, I can make me a fortune. It all happens in Alaska, where the temperature may be freezing, but the tempers reach the boiling point. You picked on the wrong lady, mister. I now pronounce you man and wife for good! Suppose I shacked up with a man for six months. Would you understand that? No, I wouldn't understand it. I'd probably wring your little neck. Oh, the old favorite. Why you got all these bags, Pat? Not sure I'm coming back. Now you can see Gladys Knight and her husband, Barry Hankerson, in Pipe Dreams. America's future pro hopefuls meet in some of the best basketball play on college courts across the nation. Join Dick Stockton and the Boston Celtics Red Auerbach for exciting weekly coverage of the 1977-78 college basketball season, exclusively on Home Box Office. The Lion in Winter is the story of Henry II, King of England, and Eleanor of Aquitaine, his wife. It is about the love and hate between a man and a woman and their sons. It is also about politics, vengeance, greed, and ambition. In other words, it's about life. Come for me. Come for me! Who do you think I built this kingdom for? Me! When can I have it, Daddy? I can see his body now. Shall I describe it? His arms. No! I can feel his arms. I feel them. The Lion in Winter. The Western movie has become an American tradition. Now, in a Hollywood studio, and on location in Nevada, a new Western is being made. The story of John Bernard Books, the last of the great gunfighters. A living legend. The role is being played by an actor who is himself a living legend. John Wayne. Co-starring with Wayne, Scatman Crothers, James Stewart, Richard Boone, Lauren Bacall, Ron Howard, Harry Morgan, Rick Lenz, John Carradine, Sherry North, Hugh O'Brien. This film has the makings of a classic, The Shootist. Next home box office showing, Wednesday. Timothy Bottoms, star of The Last Picture Show. And Susan George, star of Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry making things hot in a small town in Texas. Timothy Bottoms is Pope Jackson. All he wants is to get his girl and get out. 
Hopkins is the sheriff. All he wants is to get Pope. Susan George is Mary Lee. It's been so long. I almost forgot how good it was. She's the bait in a trap in a small town in Texas. Starts Friday here on Home Box Office. Now, from Bob Rafelson, the director of Five Easy Pieces, comes Stay Hungry, an extraordinary new film that takes you into a fascinating world. Craig, be a muffin and find something for me, will you, honey? You got the right man, Amy. He knows every weirdo in town. Don't you think you're taking this attraction of yours to other types of people too far? Now on, you do your business on the other side of town. I need you! Starring Jeff Bridges, Sally Field. You don't want me. You want another trophy for your wall. And introducing Arnold Schwarzenegger. You had them once and you let her go. I just want to make you happy. What did he do to you? You have an appetite for life. Stay hungry. Sean Connery is Detective Sergeant Johnson. He's been a cop for 20 years. The things he's seen and done and lived through are destroying him. Back alleys, standing in doorways, dark corners, always night, no one there. Silent, empty, people dying. No one. Bloody dying. You won't do that again, not in a hurry. You won't get any more girls, take them in the bushes, have them. Pressing down on them. I thought if I had the knife, I'd cut them. In God's holy name, I'd cut! Also starring Trevor Howard. We've been soft with you, Johnson. There's a limit. There's a bloody limit, and you just got there. You're the only one gets the dirty jobs, are you? You get some special sort of bloody privilege because you have to put up with your share of blood on the walls and guts on the floor. Your share! With Vivian Merchant. Good. I'll make you happy, you said. You bloody didn't. The offense. Start Saturday here on Home Box Office. This is the incredible story of the ship that shamed the world. What the hell is happening here? Havana was their destination, but it was not the end of the voyage. What will happen to my passengers? It was never intended for your passengers to land. Over 900 lives caught up in the struggle to survive. Each one with a different story. 1,300 American dollars. It's for you. Oh, how did you get it? It's mine. I earned it. How? How? Dunaway, Oscar Werner, Max von Sydow, Malcolm McDowell, Orson Welles, Ben Gazzara. The Voyage of the Damned. Start Sunday here on Home Box Office. This is the Home Box Office Television Network. The following feature has been rated PG by the Motion Picture Association of America.
stars are up in the sky So beautiful, you want to cry I can see the moon on the horizon That's where we go to dance The wind blowing in our hair Drinking whiskey, whiskey and beer Our fire's burning deep inside That's where we go to dance In the middle of the night Just outside of Phoenix There's a little cafe called the El Gato Negro That's where we go to dance That's where we fell into the trance That's where we go to dance To dance the El Gato Negro Is what I fear In the middle of the night Just outside of Phoenix There's a little cafe Called the El Gato Negro That's where we go to dance That's where we all fell into a trance That's where we go to dance To dance the El Gato Negro The music's pounding in my head the dead Too much whiskey, too much beer El Gato Negro is what I fear Look at the stars up in the sky So beautiful you want to cry I can see the moon on the horizon It's where we go to dance The wind blowing in our hair Drinking whiskey, whiskey and beer The fire burns deep inside That's where we go to dance In the middle of the night Just outside of Phoenix There's a little cafe Called the El Gato Negro That's where we go to dance That's where we all fell into the trance That's where we go to dance That's where we go to dance That's where we go to dance To dance the El Gato Negro